HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Inside School Food, episode number 10. I'm Laura Stanley. Um, Listeners, this uh, milestone segment of Inside School Food just happens to come in the middle of Heritage Radio Network's summer fundraising campaign. I have been so privileged to have this platform to launch this show, which is a unique conversation forum serving K-12 food service professionals, advocates, activists, and people working in school food across the supply chain. And as my audience grows, so do my ambitions to further meet your needs with information and open, in-depth exchange of experiences and ideas. But I can't do it without your support, so please consider becoming a member. Visit heritageradionetwork.org and click on Donate at the top of the page. So today's episode is called Have It Your Way, Partnering with Processors to Get Exactly What You Need. Um, It's the first of what I hope will be many conversations with nimble, small, and mid-sized K-12 food processors for whom close collaboration with clients is is a cornerstone of their business plan and their business culture. To buy from them is to know them, and even face-to-face, if that is what you need. Um, You can have items custom-developed. You can have existing products adapted to your delivery system and your students' tastes. You uh, you can have student tastings and staff training. These processors' personalized, hands-on approach is the opposite of the one-size-fits-all model that you're familiar with um, from working with giants like Tyson, Schwann's, General Mills. Before I introduce today's guests, um, a word or two about words. Um, Let's start with process, the word processed. I mean, what does it call to mind? Uh, Potato chips, hot dogs, and chicken nuggets, and ingredient lists loaded up with unpronounceable industrial additives. Or do you think of oven-ready falafel made of organic chickpeas, cornmeal, and kale? Whole wheat couscous, a quick cooking blend of parboiled brown rice, black barley, daikon radish seeds. 
All of the above are processed, but the two groups are so different. We might say that the second group is all natural or maybe clean label, if we could only agree on what those words actually mean. But in my experience, that's very hard to do. On food labels, uh, the word natural doesn't mean much as the FDA has declined to define it and only regulates its use on food labels. So if we use those words or anything like them in the next half hour, bear in mind that if you're the client, it's up to you to decide what they mean. And if you're working directly with your processors on product development or customization, you get to put what you want um, exactly uh, and what you don't want in your spec. So we'll begin today with Colleen Donnelly, who is corporate chef for the K-12 sector at In Harvest, formerly Indian Harvest, a Minnesota and Northern California-based company specializing in rice and rice blends, exotic grains, and legumes for the food service industry nationwide. Under Colleen's watch, In Harvest Business in Schools has grown exponentially. They recently developed um, a rice-barley blend for New York City, the largest district in the nation, and the second largest institutional food service buyer in the nation after the Department of Defense. Then, after station break, a contrast when we speak with Joe Boson, founder of Vermont Bean Crafters. His company is a much smaller, newer operation committed to the expansion of the Vermont food hub through local processing and locally grown ingredients. So, Colleen, welcome to Inside School Food. Hi, Laura. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So, I understand you're another Culinary Institute of America alum. We seem to be getting a lot of them on the show, which is a pretty exciting sign of progress in school food. Um, mm, there's a seeing, lot of us out there. I know. So many classically trained chefs joining the ranks. And I understand that you're also a protege of Ann Cooper. Uh, yeah, I am. I am. Yes, I've worked very closely with Ann over the years. She, uh, I, I always joke that all all roads lead to and from Ann Cooper. It's in true. My, in my experience, yeah. And she was on Inside School Food just two weeks ago, and she's a CIA grad as well. Mm, she is. Yeah. Um, so, Colleen, just to start out, tell us a little bit um, about what In Harvest does and where your school food segment fits in. We are, as you said, a, a rice and grains and legume company. We sell a dry product for the most part, although we are starting to introduce some manufactured items. Um, we started as a, as a very small company, wild rice company, and have grown to include lots of blends, lots of really unique whole grains, that most of which are quite foreign to the school environment. And, uh, again, bringing up Ann Cooper, uh, in Harvest decided to see if they could expand into the K-12 market and realized very quickly that they didn't really know enough about it to be effective. Um, and they, um, through a mutual friend, um, Anne, uh, they got in touch with, with me. And I, I happily jumped on board. I never saw myself as being uh, a corporate chef for, for any company whatsoever. It's just, it's just not my thing. But the minute I um, became reintroduced to their product, which I had known over the years, um, and realized that their their goal was culinary first and getting getting the message into schools in the in the best way possible, I thought, well, maybe I can't help. And it's been a it's been a wonderful match. 
And that was, oh, what, three years ago you joined the company? Yeah, yeah. Right. 2011, I started as a consultant, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then it became very clear that this was where I wanted to be, so... Right. They, they wanted they wanted to hire me, and I I said yes. Okay, and and so um, what does your your K through twelve sector look like right now in terms of you know size, district served? Um, that's a good question. You know, it's kind of it's 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 hard to um, it's hard to quantify how many districts we serve, but we are all over the country. Uh, we are the K twelve segment is comprised of myself. And uh, and the sales manager, who and he he has the entire segment, and he we work very very closely together. We're we're a team, and we go out to all the shows together. Um, sales are not my strength. I don't um, I don't look at my success as how many how many districts or how much money we're making. Mm-hmm. I look at the success um, of acceptance by kids and by by the districts themselves and what that looks like to me. And right, right. So let, let's talk about that because um, you're interested in getting kids to accept some very, at least for school food, very unusual foods. What does your product line for K-12 through look like? We have some blends. Um, you mentioned the Black Pearl Medley, uh, which is uh, long grain parboiled brown rice, uh, black barley and daikon radish seeds. And those are some pretty weird ingredients, but they're fun. Um, we we put them in familiar settings uh, so that so that the kids aren't too blown away by by a, you know a piece of black barley. Um, we we have a, a um, ruby wild blend, which is a gluten free blend of five different kinds of rices, two of which are sprouted. Which, if you know anything about sprouting grains, um, you know that the nutritional impact of them is is much higher than a regular grain. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we have identified a couple of of our blends and individual grains for K twelve and have specially priced them for K twelve. So there's white barley, there's um, quinoa, there's uh, whole wheat Israeli couscous, um, wheat berries, and so I focus on mostly those uh, in my recipe development. But you'll see you'll see some very progressive districts coming to us saying, I want to get as far away from white rice as I can. Give me black rice. And right. really, that just happened. Right. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that leads me to my next question is, you know, what motivates a school district to move into this kind of food? Um, it, it sounds like you, you are the, the, the leading the pack or what you describe as, as um, progressive districts. But do you ever uh, work with a district that's interested but hesitant? Like, how does that go? You know, we... Uh, one of our one of our philosophies is to to um, discover what the what the readiness factor is of of a district and where we need to start with them. We do a lot of school nutrition association shows, and there's a lot of sameness at those shows. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pizza. There's a lot of chicken nuggets. And I wonder how these companies actually survive being so much the same. Mm-hmm. And what do they have to offer? So, what we have to offer is. A solution, a recipe, the support. We break it down nutritionally. We break break down the components for them, um, and we see them coming at these shows. When they look at our booth and when they see that we're not selling the the you know traditional, as some districts call it, carnival food, um, they they come to us and they and they say, okay, I want to put 
an example, quinoa on the menu. Quinoa is so hot. And and they and they know it from they know it from their own lives. They know it from, you know, the 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 media and they want to introduce it to their kids. It's a great protein source and it's a great whole grain. And I say, "Okay, well, here's a here's a recipe. Let's put it in quesadillas with a five ingredient ingredient quesadilla. Fold in the the quinoa. Here's the nutritional analysis. Here's the the component breakdown. It's cheese, it's salsa verde, it's a little bit of cumin, it's um, black beans, and it's quinoa, and it's delicious. And that's a, that's a great entry for for schools. So you already probably already serve quesadillas. They already kids already know what it is. And we're not trying to hide food. I don't believe in stealth health. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want them to know that there's quinoa in it, so we tell them there's quinoa in it, and you can taste it, and you can see it, and you can feel it. But it's but it's not something we're not hitting anybody over the head with quesadillas. I mean, with uh, quinoa. Right, right. You you said uh, that um, when they come to your booth at a at an SNA uh, gathering, they see that you can solve a problem for them. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work involved. I mean, I'm a chef, but that's that's almost the, the, the last thing I do is make something taste good. Um, working with the regulations is very, very difficult. Um, we do a lot. We do really all of that for people already. One of my aha moments was at the School Food Focus in, um, in uh, Chicago a couple years ago, and Whitney Elsick from uh, Portland Public Schools was asked what what the vendor can do for the district and she just she looked around the room and she said help us mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that and it drives me um, when I have to write a recipe writing a recipe is very very difficult you, you actually have to work backwards from the from the guidelines from the food buying guide um, and figure out how much uh, of a raw protein you need to make a hundred servings and have it credit as two proteins and whether in fact that protein actually credits uh, as a as a one to one, you may have to use two two ounces of something to credit a one ounce. So so you have to start there. It's a very difficult process, um, and then you and you have to break down the components, and you have to you know you have to think about what's in their storeroom um, possibly, or what kind of commodities that they might be able to use, mm-hmm. um, because you're asking them to buy often some some pricier, maybe some vegetables, the grains. Um, and and you have to you have to just make it make sense for them, right? Financially, so you do incorporate commodity product when you we do, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I do, I do. I mean, some schools don't use them, but mm-hmm. if they do, I, I can make your commodity diced chicken taste good in a one pot dish. Right, right. So you mentioned the quesadilla as a way to get students to begin accepting this more exotic stuff. So that's your your entry point. Um, mm-hmm. What else do you do to you know like when this some of this stuff appears uh, on the hotline or in the salad bar? What else can In Harvest do, um, you know, both both with the kids and the staff to get everybody used to working with this, you know, what is admittedly pretty exotic food? Yeah, if you if you don't have staff buy-in, you you don't have a product to sell. You have to you have to get everybody interested. And whether that's telling a story about the grain, all these grains, these are ancient grains, and they all have a really really fun story. Whether it's a whether it's a, a village that's about to be, you know. Um, burnt down by the, by the awful people invading them, and then they, they cut down their wheat, and then they burned it and, and, and became this wonderful thing called Frika. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, so there's always a story. There's, you know, the, the grains being buried in King Tut's tomb. So you tell the story, and you get you get people interested, and and then there's then there's going to be some buy-in. Um, the training, you know, I you can't. Uh, you ha- you have to you have to tell people how to cook your product, how to deal with your product. You have to go in. You have to show them. I do a lot of staff trainings. Um, I get people on board. We just developed a concept, a shaker salad uh, concept, which McDonald's actually rolled out um, last in the, in 2002, and Whole Foods uh, started it up again. And it's a it's a it's a 16 ounce cup with layered um, ingredients, and you and the dressing is on the top and under a domed lid and when you're ready to eat it you should put the dressing into the cup and then you put the domed lid back on and you shake it up and I saw it at Whole Foods um, in my neighborhood and I I stopped it in my tracks and I said that's it it's a reimbursable it's a reimbursable grab-and-go meal for high school and middle school and they're beautiful they're really fun they have just the right amount of gimmick to attract kids Um, very eye-catching and and all the math's done, reimbursable with all these recipes that I wrote. And and I so I went and did a training at a large district here in California, and I had sixty five um, lunch ladies, and I say that lovingly because um, <laughs> I, I have been one. Um, and and I had them making shaker salads, and they loved it. They, you know, each individual person got to got to make their own and make it reimbursable and. The kids, the buy-in from the kids is huge. Um, it, it, they can see, they can see the ingredients in the salad, and you have to think like that. You have to bring a product that that is going to work for everybody. Right, right. We we have a picture of that shaker salad on the um, episode page for, for this episode, and, and indeed, it's it's very pretty, and it's it's great for some settings where there's limited. Um, kitchen facilities uh you know it can be made elsewhere and and brought in uh you know in bulk absolutely yeah so, yeah. yeah um and, and i you also have on your website these these recipes that use your um your blends um and incorporate commodity ingredients um and they, they sound really delicious there's ruby wild blend deep dish turkey chili with spicy yogurt sauce and uh mediterranean israeli couscous salad and curried black pearl medley salad. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch there. Um, are you developing them in, in response to requests or are you getting ideas back from your clients and putting them on your website? How does that work? Well, a lot of them just came from the first year of working within Harvest and developing recipes and doing them in a, in a way that I thought was going to work. So the one-pot dish, you talked about the, the deep dish chili. Um, we have a this whole series of those. Uh, which are put all the ingredients into a hotel pan, cover it with foil, and put it in the oven, walk away, go do all the stuff you have to do, and in an hour come back and open it, stir it up, and put it on the line. Whole grains hold really, really well. Mm-hmm. So now you've got all this flavor. Um, there's a... There's a um, st- uh, fried rice recipe, there's an arroz con pollo recipe and a couple of the chili recipes that all follow this. And, and the, the directions are very simple. You line up your hotel pans, you put this amount of, 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 of rice in each pan, you put this amount of chicken in each pan, and, and et cetera, down the line. Um, and it's very simple, and you, and you stagger the cooking of them, or you don't. You cook it all at once, and, and they hold beautifully. 
Um, so yeah, they, they, mostly they came out of uh, my initial work with In Harvest, and one of the things we offer is a lot of support around them. Mm-hmm. So if you if your kids don't like like in Colorado, you don't use you don't use a, a black bean, you use a pinto bean. So mm-hmm. you know, can you write me a recipe for pinto beans? Yep, you got it. Um, Minneapolis schools called one day and wanting to use wild rice in meatloaf. And they said, do you have a wild rice meatloaf recipe? And I said, just give me an hour. I have to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and, and it's now on their menu. They tweaked it a little bit, and it's now on their menu. But that's, that's the kind of support that, that a smaller producer can offer and should offer. Right. We, we really need to be available to, right. to troubleshoot. Right. That meatloaf is a great example of have it your way. You know, they, they yeah. came up with the idea, yeah. they needed the help, and, and you were very nimble. Um, so there's real virtue in that. So that, that, that leads me to, you know, the, the larger question of, you know, if an SFA is looking to initiate a relationship with a processor who can do the kind of work you're describing, you know, wh- where do they look and what should they be looking for? What are the right questions? Like, how do you establish that relationship? Yeah, it takes it takes a long time in some cases to establish a relationship, but you start and you don't give up. You keep offering your support. You keep offering to do a cutting for them or to do a demonstration for them or to ask them what, what it is they need. What are you looking for? Are you developing a salad bar? Do you need some salad recipes? Um, are you looking to – I got a call from, from Sodexo who was looking to establish their uh, – or expand their grab and go, and and I was ready with shaker salads. Um, you don't give up, um, and you just you're just there. I think um, organizations like again School Food Focus have a real opportunity to bring vendors together mm-hmm. to collaborate, and that's one of the things that I'm that I'm hoping to to do with them over the next couple of years. They are, um, for listeners who don't know, they are um, an organization that represents uh, um, districts of over 40,000 and more, and um, the vendors are hand-picked. So we're sort of this elite group, right? And so we've already been vetted. So why aren't we all working together? And then people can just can come to us as, okay, here, here are the people that we already know are good, and the larger districts will start to buy our products, and then that makes that, that, that here's your trickle-down theory. Now, through distribution, our products are available through this, to the smaller districts. Right. Um, so that so they have a they have a voice too, and they have they have more options. So right. it's you know it's a lot of people doing really good work out there, um, and and uh, not the least of which is you by bringing us all together and letting us talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you. So I mean, it sounds like what to look for is a high level of creativity, um, a willingness to engage, um, and quick turnaround time. You know, for for and 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 you know the ability to customize what you said about you know the the beans have to be a certain kind of Colorado because that's the demographic there. That's you know that's what children there are used to. Um, in another region, they might want them black beans, you know. So so right. the, as I said earlier in the segment, this is very different from the approach you get from a Tyson or a Schwann's where it's like one thing. It's mm-hmm. very standard um, and it's supposed to be one size fits all. Yeah, and you have to you have to be able to talk the talk because the, I, I I see people I see districts glaze over when uh, when a vendor is just saying, you know, and kids love it and, mm-hmm. and they're not 
they're not understanding where it fits into the into the guidelines and what it has to be. We just developed a breakfast bar um, that is a that credits us two grains, and that's really huge mm-hmm. that it credits us two grains. And you have to know that. Right. So right. Just, you got to know the regs, or you got to hire. You have to hire an RD. Yes, to, to help you. We'll be talking about that more when we we speak to to Joe shortly about. Um, you know, processors and any processors that are listening and want to break into this, this this is um, a huge challenge. On the other hand, if you're able to do it for districts, it makes you, you know, infinitely more attractive to them because as as Colleen, you said earlier, you're solving that problem for them. They can they can pass their audit uh, because you've done the you've done the calculating on their behalf. Uh, and you figured out like how something like quinoa, which can I and from what you say, I understand it can be used as a protein and a Green. It doesn't. It actually doesn't credit as a protein. Oh, yet. okay, okay. I mean, look how long it took tofu to get to credit as a protein. Yeah. Well, you know, it so, should. <laughs> but maybe it someday. May someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so you have been listening to Inside School Food, and it's our first conversation with innovative processors who are doing progressive work in partnership, direct partnership with the districts they serve. I've been speaking with Colleen Donnelly of In Harvest, and Colleen, it's been great having you on the show. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Okay, so listeners, stay with us because after station break, we'll be speaking with Joe Boson of Vermont Bean Crafters, another processor who is doing some very creative work in Burlington, Vermont public schools and beyond. Hi, I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a nonprofit organization, which means we depend on the support of members like you. The reason I support Heritage Radio Network is because I'm passionate about connecting women and food to an audience that supports them and their businesses. The best way you can support this program and others like it is to visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org and click the Donate button to become a member today. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager from Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Inside School Food. Today's episode is Have It Your Way, partnering with processors to get exactly what you need. I'm really excited to introduce you to Joe Boson, founder of Vermont Bean Crafters. Um, I, I reached out to Joe and Vermont Bean Crafters at the suggestion of Doug Davies, who is director of food service for the Burlington Vermont School Food Project. Doug is a school food service pioneer who is famously devoted to local sourcing and local solutions. So I knew I was on something onto something interesting. Um, Vermont Bean Crafters is younger, far smaller, and much more locally oriented than In Harvest. So they offer us a very different kind of example of a have-it-your-way style processor. Um, as you'll hear from Joe, their success is due in part to a robust system um, 
support system available in Vermont um, to local growers and processors that want to participate in building out the region's food hub. Um, Joe Bowson founded and runs Vermont uh, uh, Bean Crafters, which is now four years old. Um, and he's been able to double his sales annually. Uh, Vermont Bean Crafters specializes in gluten-free, plant-based foods, and meeting schools' budgetary restrictings restrictions without sacrificing commitment to good food is one of the reasons that Joe was just named Vermont's Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award by the Vermont Small Business Association. Administration, sorry. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I never, I never asked you how to pronounce your last name. Am I saying it right, Boson? You know, I don't think my family says it right. <laughs> <laughs> how do you say so it? So anything goes. Um, we say Boson. Okay. Boson is what we hear most of the time, but it's Dutch, so it's actually supposed to be pronounced Boatson, I'm pretty sure. The Got double it. S is like a T. Right. I'm going to call you Boson. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, so you didn't start out in school food service, but you're pretty thoroughly engaged with it right now. You know, when, when was the turning point for you? That's, yeah, uh, a good question. Basically, um, it, it was an intention from the get-go, but the path forward into it was something unknown to me. You know, it took asking a lot of questions and and listening to a bunch of different perspectives of the best way to make that happen. And um, Doug Davies, who you um, mentioned earlier, was probably, I would say, certainly our our in into that. And the way that I was able to start a conversation and form a relationship with him in the Burlington School Food Project was through the Vermont Fresh Network, which is one of the many organizations that um, is implicit in your reference to this robust um, supportive community mm-hmm. uh, that is in Vermont that's allowed us to kind of um, streamline our growth over the years. Right. And Vermont Fresh actually um, holds an annual matchmaker um, event for uh, companies like yours to speak with prospective food service clients, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so what's great about it is, you know, the, the range of different conversations that can happen in that same meeting. And it's just basically the format is uh, food producers and farmers show up um, with, you know, product samples and price lists. Um, and then the other side of it is all these different restaurants, grocers, and institutional buyers show up. And you know who's coming ahead of time, so you can kind of pick your top three favorites. And the mm-hmm. first half of the day is meeting with whoever you got to um, get hooked up with. And then the second half is just free choice after lunch. And so you get to meet with people that you uh, – sometimes didn't even know you should meet with. And I think um, Doug and Sarah at Burlington Schools was those, one of those conversations that took a little over a year to come to fruition, mm-hmm. um, but it at least put us on their radar and we could start having a conversation. And I think um, Colleen made a lot, of the, a lot of points in your conversation with her that I'd like to echo, you know, because ours wasn't, you know, I really try not to format things like, here's what we do and why you should buy it. It's just because, like, here's all the things we can do, does any of this jive? And if not, is there anything you need done? You know, right. like basically trying to be um, an advocate and a solution-oriented um, actor in the in the community. Right, right. You, you mentioned Sarah um, at uh, Burlington Public Schools. She is the farm-to-school co- coordinator, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, the Dynamo. So the fact that you were working with her really speaks to um, the connection that you have with local growers, which was something Vermont Public, uh, I'm sorry, Burlington Public Schools really wanted. Um, so you're now making a line of products for schools um, that include 
mostly local ingredients, or is it kind of a mix of local and commodity, or none of the above? How, how, you know, what I, I, I have here listed muffins, falafel, bean burgers, black bean crumble. Is that mostly local ingredients? Yeah. So this is um, this is kind of the cool thing in all of it, and you know, I've been surprised uh, myself at the extent to which all our um, the extent to which we can work with these very regimented uh, regulatory structures and really restrictive price um, points and still imbue products for students that have local and organic ingredients in them. And so most of the products we sell to the schools do have at least 50% of um, the ingredients by weight uh, grown locally and organically in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple things where even if it's not local and organic, we won't really compromise on, um, even if it hits us in the margin a little bit, and oils are one of those, you know, where even um, on products where, you know, we're cutting commodity beans, you know, as a um, USA Further Foods processor for the schools, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll still use, you know, organic sunflower oil or canola oil um, for all those, and that's just I, it could be a tangential conversation, but there's there's a half dozen solid reasons why mm-hmm. we're um, willing, you know, to integrate the commodity beans. You know, a lot of them are grown in Dakota and Michigan, and we may not agree with all of the land stewardship practices engaged in by those um, agriculturalists. But at the end of the day, uh, what I realized is that we're going to be able to get way more um, local foods into the schools if we compromise, and it's because then those commodity beans become basically this lubricant for getting all these other local organic right. root vegetables in right. or, and all the other ingredients in the uh, um, value-added products that we're able to make. Right. That, that's very interesting. Um, but, but even so, it sounds like, for instance, those organic oils, those are high-priced, and you, you use a lot, just not just local, but um, organic ingredients. When we spoke earlier, you said that you're, one of the reasons you're able to do this is your, your use of, of seconds, um, oddly shaped or small things, things that are bruised. Can you talk about you know, how, how that works for, for you, the district, and the, and the growers? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'd say this is another good point to echo Colleen, where when I'm talking to schools and doing the recipe ideation and creation and refinement, I am likewise working backwards, where I know, you know, I have this general skeleton of a recipe of I know, you know, by um, proportion, I need this to be able to achieve um, such and such on a whole grain or protein or vegetable um, requirement. And then I also know, basically, if I'm able to meet their price point, my batter, the average cost per pound, needs to weigh, you know, X dollars per pound. And so as I got everything in my spreadsheets and I'm honing in on what's going to intuitively be something worth eating, Mm -hmm. I have already stripped things down and I'm not going to waste time making things that aren't tentatively going to be viable. Mm -hmm. And once I have that general skeleton down, I can have a lot of wiggle room to play with um, nuances and um, flavor profiles and textures and things like that. So... um, Within that, the conversation about seconds, that's where that comes in and where when I'm talking to a grower about what we can afford to pay for seconds, you know, tracking the extra labor mm-hmm. that goes into cleaning seconds is pretty important because it's, it's very easy to externalize that and, you know, it's not worth buying onion seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We've, we found that out uh, and kind of knew that going into it, but I wanted to know for sure. But things like kale seconds where, you know, it, when a host of flea beetles comes in and chews up the kale and it loses its retail market value, that's still plenty of perfectly good, um, you know, iron-rich, folic acid-rich 
fiber-rich um, ingredients um, that, likewise, the schools are donning an affinity for. Um, and we can tell farmers at the beginning of the season, if you do get any um, afflicted crops and everything, give us a call first before you till it in or anything like that. That That is something that we'd be happy to use. And um, certain other crops like carrots, you know, all the seconds and the juicers, I think other people probably have their head around that. You know, I, I imagine... You know, a lot of the broadline distributors will offer juicing carrots and, and seconds, you know, besides um, table carrots. And mm-hmm. those, those are really easy to integrate, you know, and all subject to processing um, through continuous food, food processors really easily. And the diversity of products you can make out of all these simple root crops, whatever they may be, you know, like a round of potatoes that have, um, you know, a little scab here or there or some wireworm damage. Like all those things are very easy to... Um, deal with, but the one thing I would say for other processors is we track and weigh all of our shrink, you know, all of our compost from all these things so that we can have that positive feedback loop for the Mm -hmm. growers because Mm -hmm. we don't want to jerk anyone around, but we do want to say, all right, this is what we paid per pound, this is how much extra time it cost us to process it, and this is how much unusable crop we got out of this. So next year when we do this, we still want to work with you, but we need, this is the price point that works for us, and if that works for you, okay, and if not, then we both know this is just something that might not work again. Right. And so you're very you're very transparent with with them. Um, that's interesting. Um, you know, Joe, we're we're like way over time, but I don't want to cut you off because this is so interesting. I quickly just wanted to um, ask you um, about Vermont feed. You know, we spoke with Colleen about um, the importance of of uh, coming up with a product that that can be part used as part of the reimbursable meal and having it um, documented as such for the benefit of the um, the school food client. Where does Vermont feed come in and, and helping you accomplish that because you're a small company it's kind of hard for you to deal with this very uh complicated calculation right oh absolutely yeah so um i would say vermont feed is um in uh, a nonprofit under uh the auspices of i believe shelburne farms and the northern organic farmers association of vermont that works at this um policy and oversight um, level of advocating for farm-to-school programming um, and kind of steamrolling the path for all the smaller um, community members, school districts, processors, and growers to all work more synergistically together. So they're the ones that, you know, I'll I'll go to um, School Nutrition Association uh, vendor shows and things like that, and I try to get out to um, all the meetings and, like, read all the stuff that I can, but at the end of the day, it would, it's unviable for me to build up an administrative capacity mm-hmm. with the scale it is to do all of the staying current that needs to be done. So instead, yeah, I, I can just turn the ear of um, folks like Abby Nelson up at um, Vermont Feed, whose sole job, you know, within their capacity is to assimilate and um, disseminate right. all that right. information. And so I basically go to people like her. I go to Doug, and I'm just like, all right. I know the rules just changed. I kind of get the gist of it, but what do I really need to know? Right, so the, you know, so this, the district to. is providing you with some of that guidance as well. I mean, you're, this example really speaks to the value of, of this kind of technical support for small businesses that want to, you know, do good stuff in, in school food but don't have the capacity to do. I mean, InHarvest has that capacity. It's harder for you as a small producer. So it's it's really great that um, in Vermont you can get that kind of support. Um, we, we are running out of time, so I just, you know, quickly want to say to listeners that I mentioned um, – 
at the, at the top of the segment um, an example of one of the um, items that Vermont Bean Crafters make, and that's this fabulous baked falafel. And, and uh, Joe, you told me that um, it's made not just with chickpeas but with cornmeal, and you incorporated kale into it. So there's like a lot of a lot of um, elements in there to meet the reimbursable meal pattern. And and you said that it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. So the falafel. Well, and this was, you know, one an example of we know we know what we wanted to do, um, and we also had a customer that knew what they wanted, and there was mm, between twelve and twenty renditions of calibrating between those respective needs, and you know, likewise refining it for both taste and texture, mm-hmm. as well as what the handling was, you right. know, down to the case count on their side, and their method and timeline for slacking things out from the freezer and so forth. There's a lot of back and forth. But the big deal with the falafel is, um, you know, we wanted to, we knew that there was a market for the falafel. So, like, that's great. We can make falafel no problem. But there's two things that we wanted to change about it. One was schools don't have deep fryers, so a traditional falafel recipe is meant to be fried. And if baked or pan-seared, um, just doesn't come out as well. You know, we'll... Um, yeah, just kind of be dried out, basically, um, without the that searing of the oil to trap in all that moisture. So we wanted a, a, a falafel that could thrive by being baked, and we also wanted to take a chance to integrate more local organic ingredients wherever possible. So to accomplish that, we cut the garbanzos with um, any of a rotationally of local white beans, um, so soldiers, great northerns, uh, cannellinis when they're available, uh, uh, let's see, yellow eyes, and so forth. And those we cut with the garbanzos, and they actually already, right there, have a moister body and less granule texture than the garbanzos. Mm-hmm. They're um, all beans, but entirely different species, just very different mix of um, proteins and starches in the body of them. And then uh, for the structural integrity, we actually take some heirloom cornmeal um, from local organic farms. Uh, Butterworks Farm is one that we use a bunch, and we basically make a a viscous polenta out of that and right. work that in while it's still hot into the batter so that as that cures, there will be that structural integrity as well as the complete protein um, for the falafel. And then it also gives it a really nice um, golden color um, that people would expect from a falafel but wouldn't be as present without being fried. Um, and then the last bit is we try to honor the traditional um, flavor profiles, partly because those flavor profiles are amazing, um, but also, you know, all the, the little bit of um, spices that are in there also help in digestion mm-hmm. and everything, too. So, um, and then parsley is a really traditional ingredient for um, flavor and color and all these other things, and uh, parsley is also really expensive, um, especially compared to um, kale seconds. So mm-hmm. we do kale for the nutrition, but also pound for pound, it's cheaper and more abundant than parsley, and for more of the year, so... It's another way for us to get the uh, compelling aesthetics that we would want in the product mm-hmm. um, in a way that's synergistic with nutrition and price point, too. Right, right, right. Well, this is what we mean by small processors being highly creative, and you, you, you use the term back and forth um, with the district, and that's that's another characteristic of when a, a nimble, smaller processor is this um, willingness and capacity to, to work very closely and collaboratively in product development. So, Joe Bosson, pronouncing it correctly now, of Vermont Bean Crafters, it's been so great hearing your story, and I wish you the best of luck in growing your business and bringing more locally grown beans and veggies to the school children of Vermont. Thank you. 
You have been listening to Inside School Food. Um, if you want to keep up with the show between broadcasts, uh, like us on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter now, uh, Laura Stanley at Inside School Food. Next week, tune in to learn about School Garden to Cafeteria. I'll be joined by the nation's two leading expert enthusiasts on the subject who will tell you why it's not so hard to pull off and how you can use it to get kids really excited about fruits and veggies in school meals. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.